on November 14th, 2019, episode of Weekly Signals Meltdown. Broadcasting from Studio A, KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. Yeah. Yeah, huh? And, as always, mm-hmm. the winner of the Mitch McConnell Lookalike Contest, Mahler, the fake news dog. That's right, Mahler. Very good. You're so good, Mahler. He's a very handsome boy. He is. Yeah. Striking. He's got yeah. that very he, angular feature. Yeah, I really just like Mitch. Uh, Today, we'll be talking about Tasmanian devil facial tumor disease. Uh, that's right, Mahler. <laughs> Zero carbon. Your private medical records. <laughs> yeah, Mike, is, mm-hmm. we don't want to get into that. <laughs> Elephant, dung, gin, and more. But first, do you have a, a good moral character, Mike? Based on the Based on inferences made by you over the course of uh, nearly 18 years well, on Weekly Signals, I don't think so. But I personally... Inferences made by me. Yes. Based on that. Yes. That's how you judge your moral I'm just character gonna, I'm going to I'm going to amend my statement and say, yes, I believe I have a good moral good. character. Good for you, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From the New York Times, Neil Young is a Canadian citizen. The next story... From National Geographic. (laughs) I got more to this. Neil Young is a Canadian citizen, but he wants to be an American citizen. You know that? Yeah. Yeah. So so he's getting ready. He's studying up. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know you you have to take a test. Yeah, he knows that. Oh, okay. He does. He knows that. I'm an American citizen. I was born into this. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, Neil says that we're living in a climate emergency. And he's looking forward to voting in the 2020 presidential election. Yeah. He voted for Bernie last time around. I don't know who he's voting for this time, but you know where he's leaning. But Young's marijuana use, something he's been open about for years, mm-hmm. may stand in the way of him becoming an American citizen. That's uh, crazy. Yeah. After all this time. Yeah. Anyone applying for U.S. citizenship risks failing the government's good moral character test if he illegally uses drugs. In April, United States Citizenship and Immigration Services clarified its policy, saying that applicants involved in certain marijuana-related activities, even in states where the drug is legal, like Young, who lives in California, Mm -hmm. may lack good moral character since marijuana use remains in most instances illegal under federal law. Well, this is just ridiculous. And and if they're really actively considering keeping Neil Young from becoming an American citizen, it's a political act on the part of the government. That's what. Can you imagine if this applied to alcohol, good moral character? Right. I mean, it's uh, arguably much less of a a impactful drug marijuana is than alcohol in a lot of ways, especially on your moral character. Where I've seen it happen. Usually you drink and you can get violent. There's no such thing as a guy who's had too much marijuana yeah. and becomes a wife beater. Right, exactly. He usually, I mean, he usually sleeps. Yeah. You know, not too many bar fights are start <laughs> yeah. because it started over who had the last hit on exactly. the joint. So my proposal, yeah. alcohol illegal, yeah. cannabis mandatory. <laughs> <laughs> In 2011, Neil said he stopped smoking marijuana. In 2011, he said that. He, now he says he's back at it again. Yeah. And good for him. <laughs> Go, blame, Neil. I don't blame him. I think cannabis use should be a requirement for citizenship. If you want in, yeah. you've got to pass the yeah. Deutsche from the left-hand side. 
And I can't believe they'd actually follow through on this. Yeah, it, I don't it, think they will, but still. Somebody had to bring it up, you know, well, and the he's ghost of Jeff Sessions. Yeah, he's, yeah. He heard it, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll keep on that story. All right, we'll Nathan, try. let's yeah. stay on top of that one. I do a little bit of research. Yeah. From National Geographic, rare cancers are spreading among sea creatures. You know, ocean stuff. Yeah, yeah, cancers in the ocean. Yeah, jumping between different marine species. I didn't even know cancer is transmissible. I didn't either. I always thought it was confined to cell mutations in individuals. Yes. Transmissible cancers are more common than previously believed, especially in the ocean. So don't go swimming, Mike. Especially with sea creatures. I was I'm just kidding. No, I was it. swimming in the ocean yeah. last weekend. So, so I'm so screwed. Yeah. That's, that, of course, that's the cancer. That's the cancer. Oh, my God. Yeah, I got wow. it. Yeah. So anyone just out there. from a little swim at the beach. Anyone out there who knows how to cure cancer, please call me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A Mahler. <laughs> a Mahler. Thank you. Yeah. There you go. Well, that was just a joke, of course. You can still swim in the ocean without Thank getting cancer, you. but Thank apparently, you. sea creatures are transmitting cancers, especially mussels. Yeah. Newfound cancer in blue and Chilean mussels was found to infect somewhere between 10% of local populations of these mussels. That's not good for mussels or the mussel business. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. I mean, if you're harvesting these mussels and your crop is dying off, transmissible cancer has occurred in mammals, too. In the first instance of transmissible cancer in 2006, researchers discovered that a cancer infecting Australia's endangered Tasmanian devil yeah. called Tasmanian devil facial tumor disease. That's, you don't want to get that. No. Yeah, that sounds awful. Wow. Apparently, they bite each other's face. It's a normal thing that animals do. Yeah. They kind of go at each other. Right. Which... Yeah. yeah, I've seen that happen in dogs. Mahler goes after a dog's face sometimes. Yeah, they do. They, they, a little snip. Instinctually, they know, they know yeah. that that's a good place to, to bite somebody, yeah. right? So, wow. Well, I mean, it would transmissible be, cancers. Yeah, it's amazing. Yes. It's scary. Not, yes, it is. Scary. And they're looking into where else this might be transmissible. And mussels are at the more. Correct me if I'm wrong, Nathan, but mussels are on the sea floor. Well, they're hanging on to. They're ha- that's true. They're hanging they're on. Hanging to on to piers and clusters. Yeah. Probably why it's so transmissible. There's clusters of them. Yeah, yeah. I would guess. That's that's why I avoid people. I never hang out on a pier with people. I don't think you like to hang out with people in general, but yes, I. Well, I find them irritating. <laughs> From Reuters news service, Venice. You know yeah. that place I've over heard, in I've Italy. Heard, yes. Venice, Italy's mayor declared a state of emergency after. Apocalyptic floods swept through the Lagoon City, as they call it, Mm -hmm. flooding its historic basilica and inundating squares and beautiful old buildings. Thoroughfares were turned into raging torrents, stone balustrades were shattered, boats tossed ashore, and gondolas smashed against their moorings as the lagoon tide peaked. The Veneto Regional Council located on Venice's Grand Canal, was flooded for the first time in history, and that was just moments after the council rejected a measure aimed at addressing the climate crisis. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. They just took the vote, and they had to get out of there because it was flooding. Yeah. (laughs) How stupid can you be? Venice's mayor, Luigi Brugnaro, blamed climate change for the disaster. Venice is on its knees. (laughs) This is... Is a result of a climate change. 
said Bugnaro. Uh-huh. Venice's huge St. Mark's Square, once described as Europe's living room, was submerged by more than one meter of water, while the adjacent St. Mark's Basilica was flooded for the sixth time in 1,200 years. But get this, it's the fourth time in the last 20. Wow. So before, 20 years ago, it had only been flooded two times. The basilica is suffering irreparable structural damage, and ancient mosaics and tilings may have been badly degraded. More than 80% of Venice was underwater when the tide was at its highest. That's 80%. Further bad weather is expected with a series of storms lining up to batter Italy. A flood barrier was designed in 1984. They actually had something to put up in 1984 to protect Venice from high tides like this, but the multi-billion dollar Euro project known as Mose has been plagued by cost overruns, prolonged delays, and a little bit of that corruption stuff going on A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Looking the other way, corruption. Yeah. Well, you know what happens with any project in any business, whether it's private enterprise or government, Somebody's going to find a way to make more money than they should off of it. Right. That's called basic human greed. It's called the invisible hand of the marketplace. Well, I think it happens in socialist countries, well, too. Well, I'm Pe- sure it does. People want to make, sure right. you know, they want more than they're entitled to. Yes. If Moe's had been working, this project, yes. this dam project, Venice would have probably avoided this exceptional high tide. We wouldn't be talking about this now. Originally expected to start operating in 2011. The city now expects Mose to be functioning in 2021. At this point, anyone who is making a serious argument that climate crisis is not affecting this and so many other things uh-huh. is an asshat. You're is, talking is, about a president here, Mike. Is a disingenuous, at very, the best interpretation is they're disingenuous. At, at worst interpretation, they are malevolent asshats. If this news saddens you, may I recommend a donation to KUCI to lift your spirits. Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial-free, freeform, free speech radio at 88.9 FM KUCI.org. Yeah, Uh yeah. From News Corps, Australia, horrific brush fire or bush fire. Well, it could be brush fire. Yeah. You call it brush, scrub, yeah, we usually call scrub it. fire. This is Australia. They describe things differently. Bush fire. They're out, they talk about the bush. We call them wildfires. Yes, we do. Because we're, we're from Hollywood. <laughs> bush fires. <laughs> horrific bush fire conditions that have plagued New South Wales for days are starting to be contained but crews continue to battle multiple blazes in the state of New South Wales, while several alerts remain in place for Queensland and Western Australia. Authorities in New South Wales state that many fires will continue to burn unless there's more rain. They got a drought going on there, a serious, serious drought. Yes. Water bombing aircraft have to fly much longer distances because there's no water where the fires are. Yep. In some cases, authorities have drilled bores to keep up with demand. In other words, they're going down into the ground. They've actually been there long enough that they're pumping water up to squelch the fire. Australia's fire season risks growing longer and more intense due to climate change. Well, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about That's here. exactly what we're talking 2018 about. 2018 and 2017 were Australia's third and fourth hottest years on record. And last year was the warmest summer on record. Even if global temperatures are contained to a 2 degrees Celsius rise above pre-industrial levels, a limit set out in the Paris Accord. You remember that thing, I right? do. Yeah. It, that we just pulled out of. Yeah. Which just, was really kind of a weak proposition for countries to sign on to. There's no penalties if you don't live up to the standards of the Paris Accord. That's it was right. just kind of a handshake and let's we're in this together. This but our president and the Republicans who back him thought it was a bad idea because it's right. a hoax. Cooked up by the yeah. Chinese. Last year, a U.N. report said Australia was falling short in efforts to cut its CO2 emissions. Meanwhile, Australia's conservative government has refused to comment on whether climate change could have contributed to the fires. Mm-hmm. Huh. Hmm. So Australia's government sounds a lot like ours. Mm-hmm. These people just have business interests, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. why they're afraid to let go of fossil fuels. Because well, they might not get all the money they feel they're entitled to. Well, and so also, they're willing to raise the temperature of the earth because they want more money. Right. Is this a, a good metaphor for hell? Yes, it is. There's another component to it, which makes some sort of crazy logic, and that is they've already invested. These, these investments go back several years when you're developing fossil fuel. So they invested this money, you know, I'll just say 10 years ago for the oil that they're getting out now, whatever it is, if it's five years, two years, whatever it is, and they feel like they're entitled to recoup their investment. One of the reasons why I have suggested that we either nationalize the oil industry, the next president should do that, and manage the withdrawal of the United States from the fossil fuel business, because otherwise there's no reason for them to stop. They're investing money in the future of fossil fuel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, We talk about carbon taxes, Mike, all the time to help stop global warming. That's not going to cut it. No. From Fast Company, Saul Griffith, who is advising current presidential candidates on climate policy, said it's too late for the carbon tax. Yes. It's time for a world war against climate change. Yes. If we were serious and we treated this historical moment like we treated Hitler, industry would be figuring out how to scale up and manufacture the things that will win the war. And there would be government policies that would advantage those technologies that were going to help us beat climate change. That's what government is exceptionally good at. It's facilitating, creating an environment for these things to flourish. Instead, we have this guy who's withdrawing from the Paris Agreement as soon as he gets reelected. Well, that's getting a little bit far afield. We should just be gearing up and forget about him. Yeah. yeah. Get him out. Some of the states are gearing up. So we wouldn't be haggling about what year we'll have 100% electric cars by says Saul Griffith. It would be a large-scale discussion with the government about what it would take to transform the whole car-making business on the shortest timeline to one that's zero carbon. Carbon taxes will not cut it. Thank you. From the Los Angeles Times. Good news, kind of. Germany, one of the world's biggest consumers of coal, will shut down all 84 of its coal-fired power plants over the next 19 years to meet its international commitments in the fight against climate change. The announcement marked a significant shift for Europe's largest country. Germany 
has been long a leader on cutting CO2 emissions before badly missing its reduction targets this year. That's because of an increase in export manufacturing. That's what they're doing over there. Mm -hmm. So that's what's kicking up carbon emissions. Currently, coal plants account for 40% of Germany's electricity. That's 40% from coal. That's a reduction, though, from recent years when coal dominated power production. The get-rid-of-coal plan includes some $45 billion in spending to mitigate any hardships suffered in regions where coal drives the economy. Something we could learn from. Exactly. The commission's recommendations are expected to be adopted by Chancellor Angela Merkel's government. The plan to eliminate coal-burning plants as well as nuclear means Germany will be counting on renewable energy to provide 65% to 80% of the country's power by 2040. Last year, renewables overtook coal as the leading source and now account for 41% of the country's electricity. The initial targets are considerable, calling for a quarter of the country's coal-burning plants with a capacity of 12.5 gigawatts to be shut down by 2022. That's a lot in a short period of time. That means 24 plants will be shut within the first three years. By 2030, Germany should have about eight coal-burning plants remaining, producing 17 gigawatts of electricity, the commission said. Now, one thing we have to factor into this, Germany is doing a good job, not taking anything away, but they're well, importing a lot of their energy. Right. I do know that the Germans, a few years ago, I'll say three or four years ago, signed a major economic pact with Russia for natural gas. Yeah. And one of the leverage points that Russia has over Europe is its abundance of natural gas, which apparently the rest of Europe depends upon. You're, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us at facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, on Twitter and Instagram at KUCI FM. Stream us live on TuneIn or go to KUCI.o. RG. From the Union of Concerned Scientists, mm -hmm. new U.S. Environmental Protection Agency science regulations would devastate public health and the environment. Now, you see how that works? Mm -hmm. The Environmental Protection Agency Is devastating it? the environment. Protection and devastation are two different things here. They're very different concepts. And this is the world we live in. This uh -huh. is the upside-down world that we live in now. The EPA issued a supplemental notice on a proposed rule, or they just tack something on, that would dramatically restrict what science the EPA can consider. The supplemental notice expands the scope and severity of the proposed rule, saying that the agency, the EPA, can only use scientific research to consider regulations if all the underlying data is publicly available. Now, you might say, well, that makes sense because uh, we want to see the data. Yeah. But this isn't a matter of secrecy. It's a matter of privacy. If a health study contains confidential medical information like your health record, the new restriction would prevent the EPA from using the vital information. If we know people are dying, what we're not being allowed to access is their name. Right. We still get the medical records, and those are available publicly. We just can't see who they came from. The EPA has relied on studies using confidential medical data to set air, water, and chemical rules for decades. It's private information. According to the Union of Concerned Scientists, this new restriction on science would upend the way we protect communities from pollution and other health threats. 
The proposal is even worse than expected. It doesn't just restrict the science that EPA can use to institute new rules. It works retroactively. This is really disturbing. Allowing political appointees at the agency to topple standards that have worked for decades to deliver clean air and clean water. Yeah, this is madness. Yeah, it there's really no scientific is. reason or public interest to to restricting the science that EPA can consider in this way. That's what the Union of Concerned Scientists says. It will just make the laws that protect public health and the environment nearly impossible to carry out. Yeah. To what end? Yeah. I mean, well, the end it, is to make more money. Well, the more restrictions that polluters have, the less money they make because they have to build things that don't spew pollutants into the air and into the ocean and into our lakes and into our national parks and into your lungs. Into your lungs. And you have every right to call me a Pollyannish dreamer, whatever it is. But until we figure out a way to redefine what wealth means, at least at a community level, this is the kind of public policy that we're capable yeah. of implementing. Well, you're just Pollyannish. Thank you. I think it's evil. It is evil. People are going to die. Yeah. A lot of people. They have done numerous studies, and there is a factor by which more people die when you implement certain public policies that affect the environment. It is science. Yeah, and all this is so they can get their private jets. So or these yachts. spoiled little brats yeah. who were fortunate enough to become rich spend that on themselves. And then have the nerve to pretend or to say out loud that they did it all themselves. Yeah. So, so therefore, why should they be accountable for the public good? Yeah. They did it all themselves. That's, I think, the heart of what you're talking about, about changing the public perception. Yeah. People have to realize that we're all on this together. That the people who are successful are successful based on other people. They didn't get successful by themselves. They have a structure around them. They have a society around them. They're a part of that. Anyway, speaking of medical records, from The Guardian, Google has a secret cache of medical data that includes names and full details of personal information. Maybe your personal information, Mike. That is, if you're uh, signed up with Ascension, the second largest healthcare provider in the U.S. And this information can be accessed by Google staff. Yes. In other words, they could look and see what happened to you or anybody as far as medical practices went. It's the second largest healthcare provider, Ascension is, and it transferred 50 million individual private healthcare records to Google. Yeah. Some sort of money deal there. A whistleblower who works in Project Nightingale, that's the transfer of the personal medical data, is pissed that patients are being kept in the dark about this massive deal. Unlike other similar efforts, maybe like the EPA, the private data has not been made anonymous through a process of removing personal information known as de-identification. That's what they need to do, and that's what right. people need to do if they give the report to the government. They just can't have people's names flying around there so that anybody who's doing a scientific study can say, oh, look, Mike Casper, yeah. he's got a I, problem. I've got maybe Crohn's disease. Yeah. Look at that. Every time I see something on television, they brag about how they're going to be able to use these medical records so that any doctor can access that. And that's a great thing. That yeah. If I go to a doctor and I go to it for one reason, I go to another doctor for another, they can look at my records and determine whether or not there's some kind of a convergence of these different illnesses to determine whether something worse is going on. But inevitably, and especially now, Google, Facebook, these people, big tech needs to be held accountable for these things. 
It's private information. It is private information. There have been violations of the law, violations of our privacy rights. Somebody needs to be held accountable. The transfer may be in breach of the Federal Insurance Accountability Act rules on data privacy. Google is mum on the subject. Project Nightingale is by far the largest data transfer of its kind so far in the healthcare field. It will cover the entire spread of Ascension, a Catholic network of 2,600 hospitals, clinics, and other medical outlets. Patients haven't been told how Ascension is using their data and have not consented to their data being transferred to the cloud or being used by Google. It may be used for good purposes, but it needs to go through de-identification. That's the whole problem. Right. Just take away the personal part of this and we get the study. There's HIPAA laws. There are laws that yeah. protect my privacy when it comes to my health care records. This is a massive violation of yeah. HIPAA laws. You can't tell me you can't arrest or at least indict some of the people in these organizations yeah. for violations of HIPAA laws? From McSweeney's. McSweeney's. You know that satirical magazine? This is a little story by Deborah Blashore. She says this, and I'm with her. This impeachment that we're going through. You've heard of this, right? I have. It's so confusing. Yes. Both sides are making contradictory claims, and it's almost impossible to know who to trust. On the one hand, you have George Kent, a career foreign service officer whose entire family served in the armed forces, including an uncle who was at Pearl Harbor and survived the Bataan Death March. On the other hand, you have a Bone Spurs draft dodger whose dad got arrested at a KKK riot. If only American politics weren't so partisan, I might be able to make sense of it all, but I can't. Which side am I on? She goes on. At the hearing, I saw two serious professional men who both served under Republican and Democrat administrations. Yet just last week, President Trump was ordered to pay $2 million for using charity funds to pay off his business debts and promote himself. How can a voter like me be expected to know who's more credible? It is very confusing, Mike. I, oh, I watch, it these, is so I watch these yeah. hearings. Yeah. I can't figure it I, out. Boy, I wish I could tell you, Nathan. You know, on one hand, we have a pussy grabber. Yeah. And on the other hand, we just have respectable citizens. Yeah. I don't know. Do I vote for Oof. a pussy grabber yeah, I or, or a respectable citizen? Boy, Nathan, if I could answer that question for you, I would. But Oof. I just don't know what to say. I'm no political scientist, LaShore mm -hmm. says. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me that a man who has told 13,435 lies and has equated Nazis with people protesting Nazis <laughs> and who publicly stated he'd like to date his daughter and who tried and failed to buy Greenland is at least as honest as the many people, both Republican and Democrat, who have testified against him in this impeachment hearing. Someone help me. It's all so confusing. I think we should devote a whole show to this particular topic as yeah. who, who should we believe? Yeah, I have no idea. I don't know either. From the Washington Post, <laughs> Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Socialist. <laughs> she worked at a restaurant. She, she was, was a bartender, yeah, worked at a bartender. restaurant, she was a server, all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, she's part of the capitalist system. She just wants <laughs> to make it more fair for people <laughs> and have the greedy bastards pay their fair share. Yeah. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Bernie Sanders say they plan to introduce legislation to give the country's public housing units an energy efficiency overhaul. It's the first attempt at turning the Green New Deal's broad framework into specific policy. The bill, dubbed the Green New Deal for Public Housing Act, 
would use seven grant programs to upgrade housing units into carbon-neutral communities with organic grocery stores, on-site child care, and community gardens. It means you could plant your own veggies there and stuff yeah, like that. Sounds right. like a good deal. That's what people need when they're struggling. They I, need some base that they can do good at. I couldn't agree more. Uh, residents of public housing would be given preference in hiring to renovate those units, which is another good deal. It gets them involved in the process. The bill would cost $172 billion over the next decade. Yeah. And I got to say, people don't understand money anymore. A billion dollars, it sounds like a lot of money, and it is for one individual. But to do anything for a country or for a, even a state or sometimes even a city, a billion dollars is not that much. You can't get that much done on a large scale for a billion dollars. For perspective on this, the Department of Defense spends $100 billion every month. Every month, $100 billion. We're talking about $200 billion over the next decade. Yes. We're talking over a trillion dollars the Department of Defense will spend in one year. Yeah. And we're talking a tenth of that for 10 years. Right. It's how you describe it. If you say defense, suddenly our cognitive skills, our ability to kind of discern what that means seems to go out the window. But when you start talking about public policy, you start talking about people who are in need, all of a sudden we become accountants. All of a sudden we pick a bean counter. The Green New Deal for Public Housing Act would create up to 250,000 jobs a year and cut 5.6 million tons of carbon emissions. That's a payback right there. Instead of blowing up stuff, this is actually creating something in this country. The U.S. has about one million public housing units. Many are deteriorating and in need of repairs, totaling billions of dollars. So we have to do this anyway. The country hasn't added any new public housing in decades. And 42% of the current stock, almost 50% of the current stock, hasn't been updated since 1975. That's crazy. Yeah. I don't like it one bit, Nathan. Yeah. From the San Francisco Chronicle, a Berkeley company called Air Protein makes a meat alternative out of microbes and elements in the air. Right out of the air. Air Protein created what it believes is the first air-based meat. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, Mahler. Mahler's going to have his own unit. He's, he's biting the air Yeah, right he's now. right now. He's... <laughs> That's what he's, he's been hoping doing. to get some. <laughs> Other companies are using similar methods to create protein. They're part of a futuristic food category known as microbial fermentation. The basic thing these companies do is feed molecules in the air to microorganisms, which convert the carbon dioxide into protein. Air Protein's technology is a probiotic production process that's similar to brewing beer or making yogurt, but not quite the same as fermentation relies on microbes called hydrogenotrophs, which can convert carbon dioxide into protein. It comes out as a flavorless powder that can be reconstituted into familiar-looking foods and uh, tasting foods. So you can tamper with it a little bit, make it tasty like meat. Yeah, throw some uh, barbecue sauce in there and you're good to go. Air protein's process uses 1,000 times less land and water than other protein sources like soybeans. Well, then we can't have that. Can you imagine? That's a cool deal. That is very cool. Yeah. 
so we don't need to tear down forests. You know the process there. Yeah, we do. You grow grain, you feed the cows, it's just a big waste. It of... turns into a water storage nightmare. Yeah. There's poop, there's carbon, there's methane. <laughs> the cells divide in as short as 20 minutes and up to a few hours. That's much quicker than animal cells divide for cultivated meat or a growing season in the field. The air-based protein looks like flour and carries a neutral flavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And finally, speaking of flavors, yes, from the Associated Press, the makers of a South African gin infused with elephant dung swear the use of pachyderm poop is no flash in the pan. <laughs> the creators of Indlova gin stumbled across the idea after learning that elephants eat a variety of fruits and flowers and yet digest less than a third of it. Nice. Uh, I wouldn't be thinking gin when I heard that, but <laughs> that's what these people did. The gin's flavor changes subtly with the seasons and location and has been described as lovely, wooded, earthy, and almost spicy. You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. WeeklySignals.com Subscribe now!